The old pilot's playing tales, a load of hot air. As I'm sure we all remember, the first men to ever sustain flight in a flying machine were the Montgolfier brothers. After subjecting a duck, a sheep and a rooster to a trip in one of their hot air balloons, then called a globe aerostatique, Etienne Montgolfier took the brave step of climbing into the basket of a balloon suspended over a fire and was carried safely aloft in October 1783, thereby becoming the first ever human to lift off the face of the earth. Whilst powered, heavier-than-air aircraft were still in their infancy, machines that used the qualities of lighter-than-air gases to fly were becoming ever more sophisticated and popular. When talking about such craft, it's important to get our terminology correct. A balloon is an unpowered aerostat, which is the generic name for lighter-than-air craft. An airship is a free-flying aerostat, sometimes called a dirigible balloon, that can be steered. And these are divided into three groups, the rigid, semi-rigid and non-rigid types, also referred to as blimps. A rigid airship has an outer framework or skin with lifting bags inside, a little like the airline pilot guy show. The outer envelope keeps its shape, even if the gas bags are deflated. A semi-rigid airship has a keel or truss supporting the main envelope along its length that helps it to hold its shape whilst aloft. The non-rigid airships have no internal structure or keel and rely on the pressure of the lifting gas to give strength and shape to the envelope. The lifting gas used within an aerostat varies enormously in efficiency and safety. The Montgolfier gas was the component within the smoke that rose from a fire giving a lifting property, or at least that's what Joseph Montgolfier believed. In reality, it's just the reduction in density that heat gives the air, which causes it to rise. Hydrogen is the lightest of all gases, and because there is no need to warm a gas balloon, it will stay airborne for a lot longer. It became the gas of choice for many aerostats, but hydrogen itself is flammable, and after several major disasters, which we will soon discuss, it fell out of use. Coal gas comprises a mix of methane and other gases, and is about half as light as hydrogen. However, it is cheap and easily available. When the heavy carbon monoxide element was reduced and it was mixed with hydrogen to aid its lifting power, it became more useful. Helium is the only lifting gas that is both non-flammable and non-toxic. What's more, it has about 92% of the lifting power of hydrogen. Helium is unusual amongst the lifting gases as it is a chemical element and is first in the group of noble gases. Although it is abundant in the universe, it's rare on Earth. 
Most helium is created by the natural radioactive decay of thorium and uranium. Because of its cryogenic properties, helium is essential for use with superconducting magnets, such as those used in the MRI scanners, the growing of silicon wafers used in electronics, and other essential tasks. The largest supply of helium comes from natural gas extracted in the United States, and much was held in reserve, but since 2005, this reserve has been depleted and sold off cheaply. It is now expected to be mostly exhausted by 2021. The early 1900s were the heydays of the airships. No other aircraft had the lifting power, range or flexibility of the large airships, and governments around the world invested great sums in these early leviathans of the air. The greatest was perhaps Count Zeppelin, who spent all his energies in creating a massive airship industry in Germany. Alberto Santos Dumont built his machines in France, Thomas Scott Baldwin did the same in America, and Stanley Spencer was one of the early British builders, creating his airships from the funds he made from advertising baby food. Soon these vast machines were breaking records. The airship Santos Dumont No. 6 won the Deutsch Prize by flying from the beautiful gardens of the Parc Saint-Cloud round the Eiffel Tower and back again in less than 30 minutes. On one of his early attempts, Alberto's craft leaked gas and descended into Paris, entangling itself with the famous Hotel Trocadero, leaving him hanging precariously on the side. Even his winning flight wasn't without incident when he suffered an engine failure. He clambered out of his gondola without a safety harness to successfully restart it. It was, however, the First World War that created the impetus for much of the airship's development. The prospect of airships bombing cities and navies was first proposed by the writer H.G. Wells in his 1908 book, The War in the Air. But the Italians were the first to try it for real when they used them in the Italian-Turkish War. However, it was the Germans who invested the most in this modern technology, as they thought they had found the perfect counter to the dominance of the Royal Navy and a way to strike Britain itself during World War I. Raids on England began in 1915 and reached a peak a year later. But whilst the Zeppelins proved to be a terrifying weapon, they were remarkably inaccurate. Navigation, target selection and bomb aiming proved to be difficult in the best of conditions. The physical damage they did was insignificant, but they did cause a diversion of resources in a defence effort. Since they used the flammable hydrogen gas, they proved vulnerable to incendiary and explosive ammunition, but many more crashed in accidents than were actually shot down. At the end of the war, the Treaty of Versailles prevented Germany from building large military airships, and only Britain, the United States, Italy, the Soviet Union and Japan were seriously operating them. 
It was the development of heavier-than-air aircraft that really sounded the death knell of the airship as a realistic transport option. That and some high-profile accidents. The USS Akron was one of the more remarkable rigid airships, as she was the first purpose-built flying aircraft carrier. Suspended beneath the Akron's vast body were F-9C Sparrowhawk fighter aircraft, which could be both launched and recovered while she was in flight. She and her sister ship, the Macon, were only 18 feet shorter than the Hindenburg, and they were powered by eight Maybeck 560 horsepower engines mounted inside the hull, with drive shafts turning external swivelling propellers. Filled with 6.5 million cubic feet of helium, she could lift nearly 74 metric tons. That's over 160,000 pounds of weight. Her total dead weight was nearly 110,000 metric tons, a mere 242,356 pounds. The heart of the ship was an aircraft hangar, large enough to accommodate five sparrowhawks. These aircraft could be lowered, engines running and pilot on board, through a T-shaped hole in the bottom of the ship. When ready, the pilot released the hook on the top of his aircraft from the lowering trapeze and he was on his way. On his return, the pilot flew his sparrowhawk with his skyhook open up to the trapeze from below and it would automatically lock on, after which he could be recovered into the hangar to be refuelled and rearmed. The Akron had a successful career until the evening of the 3rd of April 1933. With a complement of 76, which included Rear Admiral Moffat and his guest, the Vice President of Mack Trucks, they were over Barnsgate Light in New Jersey when they were hit by severe weather, and since the low-pressure air around them was causing their altimeters to overread, they were lower than expected. Despite ordering full speed and dropping ballast, a downdraft forced the ship down. In gusts so severe that their rudder cables were torn away, the lower fin of the Akron hit the water and was ripped off. The airship broke up rapidly and sank into the stormy Atlantic. Only three survived. Being an airship, nobody thought to give the crew life jackets. Meanwhile, in Britain, the Air Ministry was building a ship to compete with the Graf Zeppelin, which had just successfully flown around the world. The R101 was conceived and built as an experimental platform, a chance to try new and innovative techniques, but political forces insisted the ship be operated as a fully capable commercial vessel. Unfortunately, problems inherent in any experimental design were never fixed, and flight trials were sacrificed in favour of VIP sightseeing. What's more, the ship's officers were pressed into making a flight to India, for which the airship was not ready, without regard to weather, 
and with a load of fuel and unnecessary cargo that exceeded the ship's capabilities. On board was the Air Minister, Lord Thompson, with his personal baggage which included crates of silverware, china, champagne and a carpet, as well as his 20-year-old valet. To compensate for this unexpected weight, the R101 had to drop most of its emergency ballast at the mast just to depart. The ship's covering was deteriorating and needed to be replaced, but in the rush to fly to India, the most important sections of rotted fabric were left in place. Indeed, the R101 had never even been flown at full speed or on all engines or in bad weather. However, on October the 4th, 1930, the ship was dispatched to fly into a known storm at a time of year noted for bad weather. And despite the recommendation of airship officers and metrology experts, they continued ahead. After struggling to maintain altitude over England and the Channel, the ship crossed into France, where rain and wind damaged the unrepaired fabric at the nose of the ship and broke open gas bags in the bow, releasing the ship's lifting gas. The overloaded and underballasted ship settled into a hillside in northern France, and moments later the hydrogen gas erupted into flame. The fire destroyed the ship in minutes and killed most of those on board, including Lord Thompson. In the wake of the R101 disaster, the privately built R100 was dismantled and Britain never again operated a rigid airship. Designed and built by Italian engineers in 1919, the Roma was purchased from the Italian government in early 1921 for the US Army Air Service. Its $200,000 price was considered a bargain, but flaws soon became apparent. Army officials, eager to maintain the Army's progress in dirigible flight, ordered the latest high-powered American motors to be fitted. The Air Service scheduled a test flight for the new engines on February 21, 1922. The next morning's Richmond Times-Dispatch carried front-page news that the Roma had crashed and burned during the test flight over Norfolk, killing 34 of the 45 people on board. Accounts of survivors and witnesses indicated that the flight started well. The drone of the powerful new engines caught the attention of hundreds on the ground as the airship sailed from Hampton's Langley Field towards Norfolk. The Roma faltered shortly before 2pm. The ship nosed down steeply, said a report. As the Roma neared the ground, witnesses saw the crew members throwing equipment, tools and personal belongings overboard in frantic efforts to slow the descent. The airship hit power lines, exploded in flames and rolled over, trapping men riding in the keel's cabin above the burning gas bags with its 11 hydrogen-filled cells. Just as the Roma neared the wires, two men were seen to leap, said the Associated Press. 
as the stricken flaming monster writhed in her first death agony, ten more dropped from the doors or ports or through holes they tore in the fabric. The crash was believed to be caused by the failure of Roma's box rudder system, which allowed it to manoeuvre in tight areas. A total of 34 were killed, eight were injured and three escaped unharmed. The event marked the greatest disaster in American aeronautic history at the time. By the mid-30s, only Germany still pursued airship development. The Zeppelin Company continued to operate the Graf Zeppelin between Frankfurt and Brazil, so work was started on an airship specifically designed to operate across the Atlantic. The Hindenburg was built, and it completed a very successful season in 1936, carrying passengers in luxurious comfort between New Jersey and Germany. The Hindenburg disaster occurred on May 6, 1937, when the airship caught fire with 97 people on board and was destroyed during an attempt to dock with its mooring mast at Naval Air Station Lakehurst. Remarkably, there were only 35 fatalities, 13 passengers and 22 crewmen. One worker on the ground was also killed, raising the final death toll to 36. The disaster was the subject of spectacular newsreel coverage, photographs and Herbert Morrison's eyewitness report from the landing field all of which were broadcast the next day. It's right, and it's rising. It's rising terrible. Oh, my, get out of the way, please. It's burning, bursting into flames, and, and it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks between us, this is terrible. This is the one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's, 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 it's like 20, oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen, the smoke and the flames now, and the flame is rising to the ground, not quite to the morning mass. Oh, the human. A variety of hypotheses have been put forward for both the cause of the ignition of its hydrogen lifting gas and the initial source of the ensuing fire, some of which include sabotage and static discharge. This was a disaster which theatergoers could see and hear in newsreels. The Hindenburg disaster shattered public confidence in airships and bought a definitive end to their golden age. The day after the Hindenburg crashed, the Graf Zeppelin landed at the end of its flight from Brazil. This was the last international passenger airship flight. <laughs>